It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And um, it's a packed one, to be sure. The last couple shows, uh, yesterday and uh, last Friday, were encores, or reruns, if you will. And... um, and for reasons that I, I just I couldn't be here, so um, I had to run uh, some replays. But what that's done is it's gotten me a little bit behind in airing interviews that were pre-recorded for uh, those days and uh, and other time slots and so on. And that happens a little bit. Sometimes I do pre-recorded interviews. Sometimes I do them live. Um, all of the shows uh, on today's show are pre-recorded, and I've kind of jammed them all together to see if I couldn't catch up a little bit. But they're all great, and they're all over the map, literally. Um, we start with uh, the author of the new mystery, Death by Chaos, Renee West. And we're going to hear from uh, Don Opel, Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives from the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And... Um, and then we're going to talk to the uh, author of the acclaimed um, Disney Villains series, 
She has the uh, eighth novel in that series out now called Cold Hearted. She is Serena Valentino, and she'll be joining us during today's show. And then we're going to jump the pond to merry old England and talk to uh, British LGBT plus uh, poet and author Joelle Taylor. Um, and if that wasn't enough, normally we have th- three, but we're, we're squeezing in like five interviews today. We're going to wrap things up in the third half of our three-hour tour with uh, Dr. Lisa Cooper, who is the founder and director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Equity, and she has a new book called Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? Very interesting conversations, all of them to be sure. And of course, tomorrow we have uh, Armchair Politics, Bobby Clayton Walton, a political operative, will be joining our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, and Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And uh, we'll have two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national news in politics and current events, plus some quotes and our, our coveted X Files. So I, uh, I hope you enjoy this, uh, this show. As I say, it's, it's packed. Usually we squeeze in some music and comedy. We might toward the end of the show get to uh, uh, replaying one of our, our radio classics from the Bickersons. Um, but there isn't going to be a lot of time for fooling around. We're going to have uh, back-to-back conversation throughout the entire three-hour show this morning. So I, uh, I hope you'll enjoy that. And uh, with any luck, maybe we can we can get a face-to-face version of Armchair Politics going tomorrow. But I don't know. we got... Um, the threat of rain called it off last week. We w- we will get to doing that and moving armchair politics out and about. Maybe the uh, some other uh, segments of the show as well, if we can get the logistics all worked out. Like I say, sometimes things get a little cobbled up, and I've gotten kind of backed up. So we're going to play catch up today with some some really great interviews and conversations. Uh, Coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, we're going to start looking at the Flint City Council race. And uh, that will get kind of busy there for five or six days. Anyway, we'll be right back with, with Renee West. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh... This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour is the author of a debut novel um, called Death by Chaos. She is a playwright, dramatic arts educator, Renee West, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Renee. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Um, Why a mystery for your debut novel? I love um, mysteries. They're like, to me, they're like jigsaw puzzles. They're the pieces. Half the fun is people putting the pieces together and then coming up with a conclusion. And then I like the fact that there is a conclusion, that if there is a problem solved. I love mysteries. Uh, but you're, um, you have written plays. Yes. Um, how different was it tackling a novel? What made you decide it was time to do, you know, a full-blown novel? 
Well, the difference is when I did plays, I was an instructor in a performing arts program, and so I had a guarantee that the um, the play would be produced. And so, and then I also and. This is not something I would always reveal to my students, but I wrote with specific students in mind for um, certain characters. Whereas with a novel, that's just going to go out there to the masses, if that makes sense. And so it, it needed to be read, and it needed to be something that could be enjoyed even if it wasn't performed live. Now, and so I think that's um, And I could also make it as long or as short as I like. When I was doing the plays, I had to take into consider consideration rehearsal time and the time that it was going to appear on stage. Now, with this, uh, it's interesting that you said you you wrote plays with specific people in mind to play various roles, mm-hmm. and that makes me wonder in in playwriting and in the writing of your novel, do you? Come up with the the characters first, and then explore what might happen to them. Or do you come up with a story first, and then cast the characters? You know, I think for every author, it might be different. But I've always been more character driven. I'll meet somebody or see somebody, and think, oh, that person needs to be in a play. I think my friends have heard me say. Somebody needs to, you know, put that in the play. Or I might think of a certain situation, but usually it's characters first. And um, and then it's like, how do I create a situation where these qualities are going to come out and be necessary? Or how are these characters going? characteristics are going to come out and move this character along? With this... Um with this book, Death by Chaos, mm-hmm. um, it, it has kind of a uh, an interesting story. Is is it geared toward young readers? It, it talks about uh, um, basically uh, uh, these these girls that were that that went to college together, and um, they it fast forwards twenty years, and they go back and explore this this event that happened to them at college or or i, I don't know i may be misreading the synopsis no, a little no, bit no you're doing but, well but um it, it 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 has the essence of of maybe appealing to young writers or young readers rather um renee because it has that that element of friends experiencing I- things together I think it does, but I will also, so I think young women in college or, you know, developing, you know, the first adult-type friendships will definitely relate and enjoy. But I also think older women, because it does start off in um, the late 60s, definitely during the 70s, and there's a lot of cultural references, references to rock groups, references to events that were significant to women of that era. Uh, these women are definitely part of what's known as the second wave of feminism and discovering opportunities for themselves and exploring new opportunities uh, that their uh, mothers did not have. 
so I also think um, older women, even up to baby boomers, would enjoy it and could relate to these women. When you say the second wave of feminism, are, are you thinking of suffrage as the first wave? Uh-huh. Uh, the second wave, these are not terms that I made up, <laughs> but um, the era of Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan, that will, um, is often referred to as the second wave of feminism. And, and then are, are, do you think we are now in a third wave? Mm-hmm. It's more known, although I'm seeing it called more the Me Too movement. Of course. Yeah, that's the term I'm seeing more. And issues that um, that are being discovered or discussed in the Me Too movement are issues that are actually brought up in the book. Because, you know, the issues that these women are trying to talk about and educate the public about have been happening for many decades. And what um, there's a there's a phrase um, in in a piece I wrote or read about the novel that says uh, that these there were four women that were considered the undisputed goddesses of their mm-hmm. Southern California liberal arts college. Um, what is it about? Are are you trying to examine um, cliques and and how women viewed themselves in those days? Um, in a sense, yes, because they do create a f- friendship. But what I found with these women is that they are very four unique women. They have they come from different backgrounds. They have different majors. um, They participate in different um, school activities. And chances are their paths would never have crossed if they had not been randomly assigned as roommates their freshman year. And the amazing thing is, um, statistically speaking, they would not have become close friends, but they did. They became very close friends and very supportive of each other. And that was something I wanted to explore because I found in college what was interesting was throwing people together who really have nothing together but friendships. You develop a friendship with somebody, you know, in a psych 101 class, even though neither one of you are psych majors, or you just keep bumping into somebody in the dorm or in the cafeteria, and you just sort of develop a friendship with somebody you probably wouldn't have under normal circumstances. And also, um, I like the fact that these were women who were very outstanding. And in order for them to be memorable and for um, their fellow classmates to remember them, you know, 20 years later, they had to be a little larger than life. And yet, they did not become competitive with each other. They did not oppose each other. As many times... I've always sort of found it frustrating growing up that many um, TV shows or movies or something just showed women at odds with each other. So I wanted to write one (laughs) where the women were connected. Women were there for each other, and they are. More with author Renee West straight ahead. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Renee West straight ahead. And this is where the mystery part begins to unfold, and and Mm -hmm. it starts right at the beginning of their friendship or Mm -hmm. toward the beginning of their friendship when one of them goes missing. Yes. And she becomes, there's um, a mysterious death on campus, and... um, and which is very uh, definitely changes all four of them because at this point they all have been very successful in their college careers. They are already making steps for their beautiful future. One's been accepted to law school. One's been accepted to graduate. Two of them been accepted to graduate school. You know, it just looks like everything's going to go on beautifully. And then there's a mis a mysterious death that they are connected with. And one of them becomes a prime suspect or a definite person of interest, and she goes missing. And another one knows a lot more than she lets on. And so then this whole burden of keeping a secret and then, you know, what's the deal with the missing roommate sort of haunts them for the next couple of decades. It sort of tarnishes their beautiful college career. And and does it ultimately impact the charmed life they were all headed toward? Um, they all, they managed to, well, I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but they yeah. managed to rise above, but it is something that does haunt them. It doesn't destroy them, but it does, it does add a bit of tarnish. And it is something that, um, as I said, haunts them something that eats at them, and then something that they feel eventually needs to get. Again, it's enough's enough. There's pieces of the puzzles out there missing. Let's put this together. Let's find out what really happened. Now, one of them takes an interest in revisiting the past. Mm-hmm. Um, is she able to draw the others into this search or does she end up sort of going it alone and and kind of kind of doing her Nancy Drew thing yeah well she's the one that knows more than anybody else and she is a little bit of a conniver probably out of all the four she's the shall we say the least moral uh she's the <laughs> She's not the best role model out of the four, but I, I find I find she's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I I was thinking that as you described her. Yeah, she, she's definitely a lot. One one um, reviewer wrote, and I would this really made me feel good that she wasn't always likable, but she said it was fun to have a character like her be a lead character because she this type of person is usually not the lead character. She is, as I said, can be morally ambiguous at times, and she's not a mean person. She's just a bit narcissistic. But anyway, she does, she's the one that's controlling the search, but 
she does incorporate the others, but she uses them. She never just sits down and say, okay, guys, this is what we need to do. She kind of sweet talks and tricks people into doing things. Is that what, what, is what happens. As you were writing this, this novel, um, mm-hmm. having had the experience of um, writing the short film Eli's Run and writing yes. various plays when you were you know, teaching dramatic arts um, in film and, and even on stage to a certain degree, a lot of the visuals take care of themselves. But in writing a novel, you have to really figure out how to get the reader into that environment. Was was that a bit of a challenge? Definitely. Uh, de- definitely. Um, I really, you know, wanted to, um, you know, describe I described them very well. I described maybe, uh, you know, like one of the readers said, you know, every outfit they wore was described very well. It was, again, because I think because I taught drama and because I'm a film buff and everything, I view it in my head. I mean, I view everything in my head, how the room looks, um, how a window looks, how a door looks, how, you know. And so I tried to describe it so the um, reader would feel they're right there with them. But, yeah, it is it, definitely, definitely a challenge. Were you able to break out of uh, the the constraints of uh, a three-act format, or, or does this book have a three-act feel to it? I, I think I did uh, uh, pretty well. I mean, I did kind of like it has to lead somewhere, and then there, there has to be, you know, what we always knew was the climax and then sort of the closing scene, which I feel is definitely a good approach, um, even... For, you know, for movies. I mean, I've seen, as much as I love, like, some indie movies and whatever, I've seen some movies where I'm thinking, did anything happen? <laughs> you know, I, I won't name names or anything, or or definitely, oh, it was great for the first half, and then what happened in the second half? So <laughs> I did want to make sure, uh, I was concerned with I called the pacing. I did... But I didn't feel necessarily constrained by it. But I definitely felt, you know, in the beginning I needed to introduce who everybody was. And I definitely, you know, then I had to create the situation and then the motivation for, okay, why, you know, it happened. These three managed to sort of walk away unscathed. You know, their hands are clean. Nobody suspects anything. Why did one of them feel, okay, it needs to be addressed, you know, and then how to go about it. And then I'm the type, like, I like conclusions. I, you know, so what ha- once everything is found out, what happens to them afterwards? So That's wonderful because, I, you know, forever and ever storytelling, um, stories had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden in contemporary writing, I've seen it mostly in film, but there's this tendency to leave it sort of open-ended. 
Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. And it's that's always a little frustrating to me. You know, I spend all the time getting to know and care about the characters, and I'm curious about the story. And there may be, you know, there may be a mystery to solve, a murder, and um, the the murderer is caught. But yet there there seems to be something in the story that that leaves you hanging you know you still have questions at the end i'm i'm like you renee i I like i like a story to have uh, some finality at the end and you know i like the no motivation you know if if there's going to be a murder or a mystery okay why did you do it and i find that sometimes frustrating when that's not fully explained to me (laughs) you know? <laughs> well, yeah, very often, especially in, in whodunits, you, yeah. you know, in, in finding out who did it, you find out a lot about them and their motivation during the investigation and along the way. It's part of how mm-hmm. they figure out who it is. But that's not necessarily the case in in some contemporary writing so i'm you know i'm i'm really excited to to read this which i haven't done yet and i apologize for that oh but i hope you enjoy it um because well i love mysteries and (laughs) and i love stories with an ending (laughs) um so i'm i'm with you on that and and speaking about leaving things uh open-ended um it's that's a little different when you're writing a series and very often i i talk to writers who write series regularly and and they always promise that each one can stand alone but i'm always curious if they get to the end of the the first one and think but wait there's more did you have that experience with this book are you, you have the bug now do you are you already on to your next book Yes, I am. Um, then, actually, I'm almost done with one, and I'm in the mind because it starts off in the mind first with this with a second one. The one I'm um, I hope will be out early next year is a whole new set of characters, and again, it will be a, a mystery, and I think it'll be it's going to be more contemporary. We're not going to go back as far, where it's going to be like in modern days, so, you know, they know how to use cell phones and, you know, things like that. <laughs> you know, because back in the 60s and the 70s, we didn't have cell phones and the Internet. Right. But, um, and, again, it's going to be, you know, a group of friends, and this time it's making it co-ed. That's just sort of, I call it the murder-she-wrote syndrome that seemed to stumble onto <laughs> mysteries that need to get resolved. And I'm definitely planning, you know, a series with that. With Death by Chaos, I was so happy with where I left these ladies. I mean, I felt things were so resolved. But I've had um, readers sort of comment that they'd like to know more. They'd like to see what happens more. So I am um, working on a second one that would involve these ladies. It would be a continuation. I, it could be a standalone, but there would be references, you know, to the first book. You know, what references to the mystery they solved. And so that that would, you know, sort of be the one I plan on writing after this, the one that I'm writing now. 
this for, and the one I'm writing now, sort of, I don't know if you know, are aware of like Renaissance fairs and that whole subculture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These are uh, people who perform there. And, and again, the three main girls will meet in college. Again, I always find college is a great place for uh, meeting up your adult friends. It's a way, you know, because, again, you get away from home, you get, you know, you're experiencing new things, you live in the dorm, so it's like a 24-7 slumber party. So. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, when you mentioned the Renaissance Fair, and, and also with this, with this first book, your debut novel, Death by Chaos, um, by Renee West, uh, Renee, it makes me wonder, and, and you're a person who is, is very focused on characters and developing characters, and that's an important part of telling the story, but is time and place, are they, are they characters as well in a story? Yes. I th- I definitely I definitely think so. They create the ambiance. They can create the opportunity. Uh, that definitely they can create the feel, or maybe even the kind of mood that they sort of uh, put you in. Are you able to write full time? Uh, I am. Whether or not I do. I don't, you know, I, I think I'm like a lot of writers. There's times when the muse hits and I'm very productive. And then there are times when, well, either I'm either lazy or life has, you know, things in life have sort of taken over. And so, but no, I am um, writing full time, but I'm also not, I don't have time constraints, which is nice. I have my own time, you know my own schedules that I put and my own timetables that I put on myself. Well, I'm always curious in the, in the creative process and in mm-hmm. somebody, and I'm going to share a quote with you because of something you just said um, from uh, Stephen King and somebody in an interview, it wasn't me, unfortunately, but someone in a, uh, in an interview asked him if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule in his response. I think you'll love. He said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 (laughs) o'clock. There is something. Now, my muse is not as, as consistent. Now, there are times when I've made the time, I'm going to sit down and write, and the muse has decided to take a vacation. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, I will still type. I and I will acknowledge this is really awful. But I will at least get down my ideas. And so when she does show up, it's um, I, I at least have a rough draft. I have something to work with, so it's not wasted time. Yeah. Do you um, sort of outline the story and and. And and what's going to happen ahead of time, or once you have the characters and the basic idea of what the story is going to be about, um, and and the muses with you, does it does it seem like it writes itself? It does. Um, I do. Uh, I do have an outline, and the reason is 
is that it is like a jigsaw puzzle. When you write a mystery, if I was just writing, let's say, a coming-of-age story, you know, a girl goes to college, she finds herself, you know, it could go many different directions. But if you're writing a mystery, okay, you got to figure out what's the mystery. And then I'm the type of person, when I see a mystery solved, it needs to make sense. You know, I don't like it when, wow, this person who did it comes out of the blue and was never even mentioned. You know, I almost feel like, okay, you couldn't come up with a real story, so you made it up. I feel, and then I feel there needs to be little hints in the book. And so, it ha- for me, it's not just the character. I, ne- I need to figure out the logistics of the uh, mystery, how it's going to be resolved, and in certain cases, why didn't the police resolve it? I mean, if I'm having amateurs solving it, there has to be a reason why it was so well hidden, and I just don't want to rely on, well, the police were, you know, incompetent. It's, yeah. you, know, so, you know, it's like putting out these pieces and where, where they go, before, I, that's very important to me. And then once I start writing, I might revise, and I might say, decide, oh, that doesn't make sense. But in a sense, I get the basic outline, especially on the mystery part, um, put together. Would you like to see, and do you think it would, um, that Death by Chaos would make a good movie? I think it would. I think uh, there's definitely, you know, four strong female characters. There's room for, you know, beauty, uh, beautiful scenery. There's a couple of good male parts, too. And I think it would be... Um, I definitely, it would be a good ensemble piece. I think it, it definitely would. And um, I've had people who, readers, just people who've read and even reviews that say in some ways it reads like a movie. It does have quite a bit of dialogue. The characters, I think, are very, as I say, the four women, I really worked on making them very distinct and unique from each other. No, I think it would make a great movie. I think it would be a fun movie. Well, I we're almost out of time, but I, Renee, it, it it sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, again, the name of the book is Death by Chaos. It's Renee's debut novel, uh, but not her first experience writing, um, and and it sounds like definitely not her last. Um, Renee, thanks for sh- sharing a little time with me this morning, but also. I, I want to, um, as I do with all my guests, give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's www.reneewest.com. And i like just like to point out, Renee is not spelled the common way. It's R-E-N-A-I-I. Then West, W-E-S-T. And so that is my website. I write blogs and past interviews and reviews I am posting there. And also um, you can buy the book off of Amazon. And you can also find me at on Facebook at Renee West. Again, it's spelled W, not W, R-E-N-A-I-I, W-E-S-T. 
Well, Renee, good luck with the book, and uh, and and uh, I'm looking forward to reading it, and I'm sure after I have, I'll be looking forward to your next one as well. Thanks so much for spending this time with me. Well, thank you, and have a good holiday weekend. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, the name of the book is Death by Chaos by Renee West. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is from the Food Bank Council of Michigan, um, and we're going to talk about a uh, a new grant that will help in the development of uh, statewide grocery delivery program uh, for older adults facing food insecurity. My guest is... Uh, the Food Bank's uh, Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives, Dawn Opal. And she's been on the show before. She joins me now by phone. Hi, Dawn. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, Let's talk first about um, the uh, Food Bank Council of Michigan very quickly. Uh, What is it? What's the mission? And how is it typically funded? Sure. So we are the umbrella organization, the trade association, if you will, for the seven Feeding America affiliated food banks in the state of Michigan. And um, there are, like I said, seven food banks and they serve uh, all uh, 83 counties of Michigan. And now I mentioned there's a a grant involved from... uh, Boundless collaborations. What? What exactly? Uh, well, I guess boundless collaborations is a program. Um, but what? What exactly is that organization? Sure. So, uh, Feeding America, uh, our national organization, uh, is interested in innovation in food banking, particularly since uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, looking at ways in which food banks could serve more people more effectively. And so they created this Boundless Collaborations Program or this uh, this grant opportunity. And the idea is that, like I said before, we have seven food banks in Michigan. Um, they're located largely in large urban centers, Detroit, Lansing, Grand Rapids, uh, Flint. And, uh, and so, what we're, so what Boundless Collaborations, the idea behind it is, is that we know during the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of folks, um, particularly those that lacked access to transportation, um, couldn't get to one of our mobile uh, food distributions. Uh, and, you know, and, and there were a lot of different um, demographics of folks who got um, really left behind um, during that time. And we worked really hard to try to, um, to, try to get out uh, Food uh, through home delivery, but it's really not the um, the normal infrastructure of food banking. So, um, so our team at the Food Bank Council wrote a grant to look at how food banks could build the infrastructure to really do that last mile of delivery to those really who are the most vulnerable um, in terms of food security, those living in rural areas without access to transportation and who, are, who might live far away from, um, from traditional food access points. More with Don Opal from the Food Bank Council of Michigan straight ahead. 
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Don Opal from the Food Bank Council of Michigan straight ahead. Don, how has the idea of food delivery changed um, during and now coming out of the pandemic? I, historically, I always think of it as uh, deli food in New York and pizza everywhere else, but um, things things are considerably different now. That is very true. So anyone who sees the Amazon Prime vans going through their neighborhood um, at a, <laughs> you know, knows that um, that we have as a culture in this country, and COVID really did uh, exponentially increase the speed at which we've moved to uh, a home delivery uh, system. A lot of folks are now using companies like Shipt and Instacart and, um, and, you know, Amazon Prime for groceries. And so, you know, and that infrastructure has been built up rapidly for, for consumers that have income. You know, people want things delivered to their house because for so long we couldn't go out and it, it became a convenient option and cost effective now that, you know, it, this can be done at scale. And our question um, during COVID as, as uh, food bankers has been, well, what about folks that don't have the income, you know, to get their groceries safely delivered to their door? Um, how do we leverage programs like SNAP, um, the food assistance program, but also how do we reconsider the ways that we are also providing services to consumers, um, to, to, to those in need? Because, you know, it's it, this is now sort of taken for granted that this is the way, you know, that you, you shop online, you order something and get it. And food, you know, we're really thinking about that for folks who for where mobility is an issue, um, where accessibility, if you're living in a food swamp or a food desert, um, if you, you know, maybe, um, you know, not wanting to go out for various reasons. And during the pandemic, there were so many, you know, that older adults really did want to stay home and protect themselves against the virus. So, you know, so these are all things that we're thinking about. What will food banking look like? Um, if this model continues to hold. And so that's what this research and development grant is really all about. And the grant is for $200,000, and and I'm I'm assuming that that's a one-time grant to help develop this program. That's right. So we're going to develop a model. We're going to work with supply chain and logistics folks um, that we'll hire for this planning phase and then um, that'll go through the end of 2021, and then we're hoping in 2022 we'll be able to implement the model that we developed. So there's another uh, there's another grant opportunity for implementation, and um, and so we're we're very optimistic that we'll be um, we'll be beginning to deliver food in you know using this model in uh, early next year. And of course the. Um one of the things that you'll look at in this study, I imagine, would be sustainability. Um, 
you know, Absolutely. once you get a plan in place and then you get, um, you know, if, if you're able to get the implementation grant as well, um, you get the program up and running, but how do you, how do you fund it? How do you keep it running? Is that part of the planning process? Absolutely, and I'm really glad that you mentioned that because uh, we have had an excellent relationship with the Department of Health and Human Services through COVID as we've been investigating um, these kinds of options. And in fact, um, we worked with uh, the Agency for Adult and Aging Services um, as we have um, as we as we went through COVID and did deliver almost a million dollars of shelf-stable uh, quarantine boxes to older adults during the, vi- during the pandemic. Um, we're now looking at how to deliver, and shelf-stable food, as you can imagine, is a lot easier to uh, distribute uh, than uh, fresh food is. And so that's why the operation standpoint is for this planning grant is really important. But the Department of Health and Human Services is really a partner on this grant, and, and I think that Part of what we're looking at is how we can create a, and stand up a sustainable program through uh, through adult and aging services that really does um, take advantage of adult older adult uh, health and nutrition programs um, that are federally funded. And then, is there a, a timeline for the development of this program? When when might we? see a plan, and and how long would it be after that before implementation? Sure. So we're hoping to pilot next year in South Michigan. So we should be seeing something um, in early next year, I think, is where we're really hoping to have the planning uh, phase done by the end of this calendar year. So piloting in South Michigan uh, early next year and then hopefully a more wider implementation toward the end of next year. Early in 2022. That's right. I get really confused because I lost a year in there somewhere. I know. I feel the same <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but what what about that? How have things been different for, for food banks during this last 15 months? And is there an ease up or was there discovered an ongoing need? Well, it's a very interesting question because we've had... We've had lots of, I, I definitely think we've learned a lot about the, about needs of Michiganders in the last, in the last 20 months that we didn't know before. So, um, initially at the beginning of the pandemic, particularly, we had a huge increase in the number of people who were coming through our, um, through our line. So upwards of an additional 40 to 50 percent, um, uh, and this was as Unemployment, you know, it sort of followed the unemployment trend where we had all, we had a, a large swath of new uh, clients who were experiencing disruption in employment um, or other, you know, caregiving, all of the other concerns that um, people are familiar with that happened during COVID. You know, kids stayed home, um, parents had to, you know, k- take care of kids and same with um, other institutional settings that closed. There may have been need for caregiving of older adults or other members of the family. So we saw a large uptick um, at you know in early 2020 through the end of 2020 that was really tied to all of the disruption that occurred in the economy um, as a result of the public health crisis. Um, since then, what we what we have seen is that 
There were a number of federal programs um, that the state took advantage of that really did um, bolster folks in need. So, um, so we had additional uh, uh, SNAP or food assistance plan um, uh, program allotments uh, through that time, unemployment assistance. All of these programs started to bolster folks. And then we saw a little bit of a, a stabilization um, with those increased benefits. And so, you know, so now I think we're in a period where we're really looking at um, that uh, there is probably another category of folks that, um, and this is where we're really, you know, really focusing our efforts, I think, to look at um, these vulnerable populations that probably missed out on both of those buckets of support. So this is what this grant really looks at is that Folks in rural areas that are that are difficult to identify and difficult to reach through our existing programs, and um, and those who have experienced um, disparities for some time not, uh, that live in communities um, that are underserved, and that kind of follows the conversation around um, uh, the virus itself and uh, and and the ways in which certain communities were disproportionately affected by the pandemic. So, um, so it's a complicated answer, and I think one that um, that we are taking a really hard look at to see um, who are we um, poised to serve well, and who, you know, who is still really experiencing distress um, and will continue to, and and how do we serve them better? More with Don Opal from the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Straight ahead. <music> Yeah. 
for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.